So it is a new year. And typically, when we start the new year, we are focused on, you know, the new you, right? New year, new you, new version of us. We're ready to finally work out, you know, get healthy, eat healthy, read more, study more, to be motivated and determined and ambitious. We have goals that we set around this time of year, resolutions that we make. And mostly they're focused on us being kind of a better version of ourselves. And many of us do this with our Christian lives as well. We're pumped up to read the Bible, right? We got these plans and stuff, even that, you know, the, the church, where we use that as well as we're turning the page on the calendar. It's a time for us to really get into the Word, to start being consistent in things, to pray, to be more committed, to be more relational, to be more missional. And these are by no means bad things, right? Resolutions are great. Resolutions and a new year or a new season of our lives, these are opportunities that we have to uh, focus on the things that matter. But I do want to propose that we do something slightly different to begin the new year as a church. I want us to look into a passage of Scripture that is focused solely on the greatness of God and his glory. Because a lot of times when we step into church, and I don't think this is necessarily wrong, but we can take it the wrong way. The way we step in is, where am I at in my life right now? Right? And then we try to find the relevance of God to us. Right? So here's where I'm at in my life. I'm going through a season of such and such. And then we think what we really need is for God to come to where we are and to give us something really specific or particular that relates to us, that is relevant to us. But I think often what we need is is not that. It's rather to have our view adjusted to God. Not to have God come and adjust himself to us, but to us come before the reality of the living God and have our lives adjusted to him. So that's what we're going to try to do today. We're actually starting a series called Gospel Center Church. And I'm actually just going to give you the point of today's message up front um, so that you don't have to pay attention for the rest of it. No, I'm kidding. Um, But here's the the point for today. A gospel-centered church lives with the throne of the one true holy and living God at the center of the universe always in view. Okay, a gospel-centered church lives with the throne of the one true holy and living God at the center of the universe, always in view. And we'll be unpacking okay, what we mean by that as we go through scripture together. So if you guys have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 4. We're going to read through chapters 4 and 5. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Revelation Revelation chapters 4 and 5. It's Revelation, by the way, guys, not Revelations. Revelation. um, Psalms also. I'm just going to say this. This has nothing to do with it. But Psalms. You know, when you say, when we say we're going to read a Psalm, what you say is we're going to read Psalm 1. You don't say we're going to read Psalms 1. It is the Psalms, but when you say it, you just say Psalm because we're going to only read one Psalm. Anyway, (laughs) that's just 
That's for free, guys. Uh, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. And this is, this is God's word. And we'll, we'll take it piece by piece. Revelation 4, 1. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Okay, so, so let's just stop there for a second. Let me give you a little bit of context. John, you know, the author of this, he has just shared his seven messages to seven churches, you know, in two and three. This is kind of a popular part of Revelation, and he delivers all these messages. And then all of a sudden what happens is he is teleported, he's transported into the, the throne room of God. Okay, so something's happening either, either literally, physically he's teleported there or he's having some kind of vision. And he's in the throne room of God, and the first thing that he hears is this, this booming voice. Right? And it's a, it's, you know, it says, speaking to me like a trumpet. Speaking to me like a trumpet. And this actually, you know, the, the Feast of Trumpets, uh, Rosh Hashanah, the beginning of the Jewish New Year would, would begin with the blowing of trumpets, and it would be meant to imitate the voice of God. This would be an indication that something royal, that something kingly is happening. And then he talks, he says, okay, all there is, I'm, I'm teleported to this place. I hear this booming voice. He's saying, come up here. And what I see is a throne and somebody sitting on it. Right? So he doesn't even say who's sitting on it. He just says, someone is sitting on the throne. You know, why doesn't he just say someone's sitting on it? Because this is also a, a kind of a Jewish form of reverence, right? They don't say the name of the one who's sitting on the throne. They don't just say Yahweh is sitting on the throne. They say someone is sitting on the throne, right? And um, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, I always say it's kind of like, it's kind of like Voldemort, right? It's like, you know, oh, you don't say his name. You know, why? Because there's this like, there's this awe, right? But it's the opposite because Voldemort's evil, right? And God is obviously good. But it, because he is so good and so holy, we don't, just, we don't just kind of flippantly speak his name. And John begins to describe the one who he sees on the throne. He has the appearance of Jasper. Jasper is kind of a reddish stone. And then Carnelian is kind of a clearish stone. It's a, it's a diamond-like stone. Diamondy, I guess. I don't know if that's a word. And the throne was like a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. It's like, what? <laughs> like, what? what is that? Uh, it, John doesn't know how to describe what he's seeing. It's like, ah, it's a, you know, it's like a ruby <laughs> and a, a diamondish thing. And then there's a rainbow that looks like an emerald. And you're just like, what? What the heck is that? Like, what is that? I don't know, but it's something incredibly glorious. It's so glorious. John doesn't really have the words. He's seeing something he's never seen before, obviously. And he's like, oh, it looks like jewels, like uh, fancy jewels plus a rainbow plus an emerald. That's what it looks like. And so that's his description. Now, let's, let's read on. He's going he's gonna to talk about, okay, what else is happening here? Verse 4, it says, around the throne were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was 
as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. Okay, so he says, okay, there's this throne. That's just where he says, there's just a throne. And it, there's someone on the throne, and he appears. He has this appearance of jewels and stuff. And then around the throne, all around the throne, are 24 other thrones. And on those thrones are the 24 elders, and they're all dressed in white, and they've got crowns on their heads. So they seem to have some kind of royalty, and they're also dressed in white. So they're also, they have some kind of righteousness. And then there's flashes of lightning. There's fire. There's the seven spirits of God. And some of your Bibles might say that that can also be translated the sevenfold spirit of God. Which And seven is a number that's particular in Scripture, often refers to completion or perfection. And so it's, a, it's the perfect. So oftentimes when it talks about a certain sevenfold something of God, it's talking about his, his, you know, his presence, his perfect presence or his perfect power or his perfect wisdom, something like that. So it's referring to God like this, and then there's a sea of glass, which is like crystal. And then there's these four creatures. It's very interesting, right? There's four creatures that sound freaky, kind of. They're full of eyes in front and behind. They just have eyes everywhere. And then one looks like a lion and an ox, and one has a face of a man, and one's like an eagle. But what's interesting is the, the throne is not here, and then the elders are here, and then the creatures are there. No, it says the throne is here, and then the elders are around. They're, they're circled around the throne. And then the creatures are also circled around it says in, in front behind left and right it's not just in front of the throne they're they're circling around the throne so here's the here's the the point of this text so far by the way there are no people in this text yet right just john and john's not doing anything he's just watching he's not he's not participating yet he's just a passive observer of what's happening and here's, here's the point so far. God, who is far greater than us, who is unlike us, who is almost indescribable from our view, is at the center of all of reality. He's at the center. He's not at the front or the back. He's at the, right at the middle, the source of everything. And the elders are around him, and the creatures are around him. Everything is moving out from the center. And at the center of everything is God. God is at the center of all reality. God on his throne. That is the central reality that everything starts from. Not, and by the way, we're not even in the picture yet. So I was watching something on Netflix the other day. Um, a show called, it's a show called Black Mirror. So I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with this show, but um, it's kind of like a modern day Twilight Zone. So they take these concepts and, and this is, it, you know, because it's from today's time, essentially what it is, it's kind of a warning of, of, the, of the future, what could happen in the future, and also a little bit satirical of our present based on technologies, right? So there'll be, you know, it'll be an episode about, like, cloning or something or, like, virtual reality or, um, you know, what can happen to society when these things take over. And I watched this episode. It was called um, The Nosedive. And basically what it's about, I'll share a little bit about it. What it's about is about a society where, you know, like Instagram, like everyone has Instagram. 
So in this society, everyone has a thing like Instagram, except it's not just a like or, or a dis or Instagram doesn't even have dislike, right? It's not just a like system. It's a rating system. It's a five-star rating system like Yelp. And you as a person have a rating. So you, like, so based on your, your social media, all your account, so based on all your pictures and your posts and things like that, people rate every single one of your things. And you yourself have a rating. So they'll say, okay, so this person is like, this person is a 4.8. You know, this person is a 4.2. That person's a 3.5. That person's a 3.15, right? It's the average of all of your ratings. And people wear these special contacts that allow you to see. When you look at a person, you can see their entire social media feed. And you can see their number. So people are essentially ranked in society based on their social accounts. And you could see that. So you'll see, so I'll look at Randy, and then it'll show me the number, right? You know, um, 5.0, right? And, you know, so I see Randy. And then I can scroll through on my phone, like with my, I can scroll through his feed and see everything about his life. Like, oh, here's what's going on with you. And, oh, you just went to a conference. You know, here's your brother and, and their kid. Like, I can see everything. And then you have a conversation. And, and this whole world it's so it's so fake, right? Because all anybody cares about is their is this rating that they have, this social rating that they have. In fact, in this world, your social rating changes like the cost of your rent. It changes what kind of job you can get, where you can live. You have to be at least a three point five to live here. You have to if you're a four point five or higher, you can get a twenty percent you know discount on your mortgage. Now, the episode is, I won't, I won't, if you ever want to watch it, I won't totally ruin it, but it's called The Nosedive, so I guess you can infer what's going to happen. This, this, this girl who works so hard for her 4.2, you know, essentially like a series of unfortunate events knocks her rating down. And when you're watching it, like I was watching this, right, and I kind of just stumbled on it. I had nothing, you know, I was kind of on break like, you know, a couple weeks ago, so I'm just watching it. And I was... One, I was terrified. I was like, no, oh my gosh, like, why is this happening? She just bumped into you on accident. Why are you lowering her rating? You know, I'm getting upset for her. Like, no. And then I'm, I feel this sense of injustice. Like, how can the world be like this? Like, how can it be that people have so much power over other people just by rating them socially, just by, you know, like they do a little thing. And then you hear this noise. There's this tone. It's like, do-do-do, you know, like that. And you're like, no, why? Why are you rating her down? It's so sad. It's tragic. And then I thought, like, I was like, this, is, this would be horrifying if this were real. And then I thought, but you know, it's not that different from the world we already live in. And then I got really scared. Right? I was like, this is, this, is, this is horrible. You know, the advent of social media and technology and phones, you know, it's created in us this, this thinking that we are so important. Our image really matters. You know, it's something we wish we didn't think about a lot. But you do think about it, right? Like when you post something, you don't just post a random picture. Right? I mean, it's got to at least have some, some value, right? Like it has to look nice or it has to say something about you. Like, you know, you don't just kind of, you know, you don't come to church and then just be like, you know, I'm at church right now. Like that's not a post. Nobody does that. 
There has to be something cool or significant or something, right? It has to be or funny or, you know, cute or something. There's got to be something in there. And look, I'm not even saying that that's, that, that's, that's our culture. There are, I think there are val- there's value and there are benefits to that. But we have to be very careful. Um, you know, right now, 95 million photos and videos are posted on Instagram every day. 95 million. This one's even crazier. 300 hours of video. 300 hours of video are uploaded to YouTube Every minute, every minute, 300 hours of video are being uploaded to YouTube. That's crazy since I started this story. (laughs) You know, like billions of hours of video have been uploaded to YouTube. Sin, 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 uh, I read this in a... In a book, sin replaces worship of God with worship of self. Sin replaces worship of God with worship of self. It replaces submission with self-rule. It replaces gratitude with demands for more. It replaces faith with self-reliance, vertical joy with horizontal envy, rest in God's sovereignty with a quest for personal control. We live for our glory. We set up our rules. We ask others to serve our agenda. We hate having to wait. We get upset when we have to go without. We strike back when we think we've been wronged. We do all we can to satisfy our cravings. We think too much about our own pleasure. We envy those who have what we think we deserve. We pout when we think we've been overlooked. We hate suffering of any kind. We manipulate others for our own good. We're obsessed about what is best for us. We are all too concerned with being right, being noticed, being affirmed, we find it easier to judge those who have offended us rather than to forgive them. We require life to be predictable, satisfying, and easy. We do all these things because we are full of ourselves in awe, more of ourselves than of God. This is what happens when the throne of God is not in view. Dissatisfaction and complaint rule our lives. And he says later, he says, when he talks about this, he talks about complaining. And he says, it's not because we have a grumbling problem. It's not because we have a complaining problem. So we have an awe problem that results in a life of personal dissatisfaction and complaint. When awe of self replaces awe of God, praise will be rare and grumbling plentiful. This is the world that society that our kind of time and our generation want to convince us is normal right you need to go get that job go get that promotion go demand that raise go demand that he listen to you that she submit to you go get your respect go get your due we all got friends who tell us stuff like that right um and look that's okay right don't judge that friend (laughs) But let me just say, that's not gospel advice. We should be honest and open about our feelings and clearly communicate our expectations, but claiming our rights and demanding our opportunities aren't things that people who have the throne of God in view. Let our starting premise not be, how can I make myself more of a center? 
and instead be, how can I better see he who is already at the center, his throne, and how can I help others see it too? That's the picture of worship that we must adopt. God at the center of the universe on his throne. Now, what happens when we do that? Let's, let's read on here in verse 8. It says, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings and full of eyes all around and within, and day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. You know, what happens, what is the posture, what becomes the posture of our worship when the view of God's throne is made known to us? It is humble gratitude of God's holiness. It is this humility and this thankfulness in God that God is not like us. You know, the, the creatures, they say, it says, they, day and night, they never cease to say, This is the totality of their existence. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. If you ever wonder in the Bible why things are repeated, because, you know, they don't have like bold or underlined or all caps, right? This is the way to emphasize something. God is holy. He is set apart. He's not like us. That's an amazing thing. He's He's not petty like us. He's not insecure like us. He is not you know, fickle like us. He's different than us. He's holy. And all the living creatures, they give glory and honor and thanks. They give glory and honor and power because God created all things. Indication, the indication that we have the throne of God in view is that we're humble and we're grateful. That's, that's what happens. Right? And, and humility, it's like, like humility is one of those things, I think we get it confused sometimes in Christian circles. You know, how do I be humble? Um, it doesn't really come from effort, right? Like, humility is not something you work on, right? It comes more from acknowledgement. You know, if you try to be humble, you'll only find that you're acting in opposition to what your heart actually believes, right? Because you'll be, you'll be telling yourself, like, I have, to, I have to think that this person is better. Or I have to think that that person is better. I have to think that I'm less. But you don't believe that, right? Like the fact that you're trying to do it kind of reveals that, that that's not what you actually believe. You know, it, it's more like, like if you're at a concert, let's say you're at some kind of concert, you know, I don't know, Bruno Mars concert, right? And he's singing something, 24-karat magic. He's up there, he's singing, he's dancing, Right, and then he's like, hey, you, right? Like, come up on the stage, right? And you come up on the stage with him. Now, when you go up on the stage, I think most of us, with the exception of maybe some people I'm thinking in my head, but, you know, most of us, right, we'll just kind of be up there, and we'll just be singing and dancing, and we'll be happy, right? Like, you're not going to take the mic and try to, like, outdo Bruno Mars, right? Like, you're not up there trying to steal his glory all of a sudden and think, like, oh, this is my chance, right? Like, I'm going to compete with him now. 
And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show that I have what it takes, you know, to be whatever, to be the next sensation. No, most of us would just be like, no, I, just, I don't know. I'm just happy to be here, right? Wow, this is really cool. You know, some of us would be terrified because, you know, that's probably how I would feel. I wouldn't really want to be up there. But, you know, you'd be freaked out or something. But in any case, you wouldn't think that you're competing with the person who's up there. You'd just be, like, happy. Right? You'd be, like, thankful. You know, afterwards, after the concert, if he comes up to you and is like, hey, like, how'd you like that? You'd be like, oh, my gosh, thank you, Mr. Mars. <laughs> thank you so much. You're so kind. You know, like, whatever, right? You'd just be happy. See, humility is just acknowledgement. It's like, why would you be humble before? Because you just think, well, I acknowledge he is a professional singer, dancer, performer. I'm not. So I'm not up here trying to do anything. Right? Like, if Steph Curry can't play pick up basketball with us, I'm not going to be like, dude, I'm going I'm to take him down. Like, I'm going to show Steph Curry that I belong in the NBA. No. And if I were to think that, that would be pretty... <laughs> Not just arrogant, right? That is delusionally arrogant of me to think something like that. Like, I'm going to put Steph Curry in his place. No, right? I would just be like, dang, he can't play with us? Awesome, right? This is cool. I get to tell people that I played basketball with Steph Curry. I wouldn't think, oh, I'm trying to beat him. Why would I be humble before? Because I just acknowledge he's a much greater basketball player than I am. Humility is not like, oh, well, Steph Curry's here, but I better... You know, I better humble myself. I better make sure that he gets his shots, you know, because I don't want, I don't want him to feel like I'm, I'm playing too well. No, it's, it's, it's not me trying. It's just me recognizing something. Humility before God isn't us trying. It's not like, oh, well, God is, you know, I don't want God to feel bad, right? Like, I, I'm not going to sing too well in praise because I, I don't want God to feel like I'm taking away his, his shine, no, it's just acknowledgement. God is on his throne at the center of all reality. Looking at that, right, rather than am I humble? So asking yourself the question, like, am I humble enough? Wrong question. Is the throne of God in view, and am I acting in response to it? That's the right question. When I do something, when I go to work, when I'm a husband or a father, when I'm a friend or a son or a daughter, when I am in my church, when I am interacting with strangers, when I'm at my you know, coffee shop or restaurant, when I'm with my neighbors, do I have the throne of God in view? Is that what motivates me? Is that what stirs me? Is that what moves me? Or is it me, my throne? How can I advance? How can I be more liked? Humility comes from an honest recognition that there is someone far greater in us, greater than us, someone who's on simply another level. He's not a competitor. He's instead worthy of our worship and yet offers to be in relationship with us, to invite us into his glory. There is something incredibly freeing about living in view of that throne, about the idea that I'm not at the center of reality and the one who is is far greater than I because you start to see him everywhere, right? Like one of the great things about having a, like just focusing on that, just, just focusing on, forget everything else, start there. 
This is why we should, like, read our Bibles in the morning. This is why we should pray and worship God at the start of our days, right? Because something changes. Like, you notice God everywhere. Like, on your drive to work. You know, at Starbucks. You know, for me, like, I'm at Starbucks. I'm just, like, talking with people. I was reading this book. Uh, it's called Gaining by Losing. It's, um, it's, a, it's a book about missions, basically, by J.D. Greer. And I had this book on my table, and this guy comes up to me, and he's like, he thought it was a book about, about dieting, basically, which I don't know if I should be insulted or I don't know what I should think about that. But he's like, oh, okay. he's like, what is that about, right? And he's asking me about it. And it's like, you know, and we, we had this conversation, and it was this great, like, spiritual conversation. And I asked him, like, what's going on with his life and where he's coming from. And, and, and those are the kinds of things that's like, man, God's so amazing, the way he steps into our lives. Like, food tastes better, honestly. Because it's like, doesn't, it doesn't like hold, uh, food used to hold a lot of weight for me, by the way. Like, in terms of my heart, you know, and this is, this is a while back. But, I mean, if you look at my Instagram, Instagram, actually, like, the first two years I had Instagram, it was all just pictures of food. I never picked, I never posted anything. I was just like, look at this sandwich. Look at this pizza. Like, look at this. Like, that, that's really, this is literally, I'm, I'm just confessing this. And it just doesn't really, like, when it doesn't have to hold that weight, you're just like, oh, man. Like, um, like um, see all of the amazing things that God has given us to eat and to enjoy. Conversation is better. Church is much better. When the throne of God, that's what we're supposed to be doing. That's why we worship, to get that throne in view. And it is truly glorious you can appreciate all the moments that you have here with people and it doesn't have to be so agenda driven it doesn't have to be like what is is it this or is it that or what is it leading to or what does it all mean it can just be what it is just time to spend worshiping with other people and loving them and hearing their stories and telling them yours when we live before the throne our posture becomes one of humble gratitude now let's, um, let's wrap up this text here. Chapter 5. It says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth under, or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly. Because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So there's this scroll and these, you know, and these seals. And again, John's just up there, right? So far, he hasn't done anything. They can't open this scroll. And so he's really sad. And he's like, it says, I began to weep loudly for no one was found worthy. So nobody's worthy to open this scroll. And then he says, somebody, you know, the elder comes and says, weep no more because the lion, the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll. Right? Who is that? That's, that's Jesus. Right? From all the way back in Genesis 49, prophesied someone will come from the line of Judah, right? When this blessing is given out, and Judah's the one, the fourth son, 
of Israel. He's the one, his line, it's going to come from his line. And then someone, the root of David, right? Jesse, you guys, if you guys remember, someone's going to come from that line. He's going to come and he's going to conquer. And that's, that's Jesus. It says, and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Verse 9 says, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands upon thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Verse 13, and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Now, this is a picture that starts at the center of all reality and his throne. And then it has the 24 elders. And then it has the four living creatures. And then it has. Everyone, people from every tribe and tongue and nation, and then it has the angels, and then it has every creature everywhere worshiping God. That's the worthiness, the holiness of the God that we worship. What brings us to that? You know, what, what brings us to that is the lamb who was slain, Jesus. Now, when it talks about it, it says there's this scroll, right? And this scroll, there was a scroll for kings that would be their record. It would be like their, their lineage, you know, where they come from. You know, what family are they from? And then their accomplishments. It would say, okay, well, such and such has accomplished this. And when they would announce the king, they would announce these things. And when he says that there's this scroll, there's this scroll and there's stuff written on it, front and back. It is the record of Jesus. It is Jesus' holiness, his righteousness, what he has accomplished. That he came, he lived a perfect life, that he died for our sins, that he rose again from the dead, that we have in him, that because of him, we never have to have our own scroll. We never have to come up with our own stuff. We never have to say, okay, this is my worthiness. The reason I'm worthy is because I've done this and I've done that, because I have this job, because I'm this kind of person, because I go to church, because I I read the Bible, because I do this or I do that, because I'm a good person or I'm I'm a good worker. You don't have to prove anything. That's where this heart of worship comes from in that God has taken away that need to have to prove something 
And instead, we just, we just look upon his worthiness. Now, it, it doesn't mean we have no purpose. On the contrary, the, the picture that's painted at the end, that everyone will be worshiping God, that's the part that includes us. That we are going to be a part of all peoples coming to worship of God. Essentially, that we get to extend worship of God to places where it isn't, to people who don't know him. That we get to extend even that to, to one another. That's, that's this thousands upon thousands, this myriad upon, myriads upon myriads. That is an incredibly worthy task that God has given to his people to, expend, to extend worship of him, the gracious love and peace that we've received in Christ to one another, to be a part of that vision that will be realized in heaven at the end. A gospel-centered church is one that lives always before this throne of God, with this throne of God in view. This is the goal of every Christian. This is why we come to worship so we can see it more clearly, why we read the word, why we fellowship together, so we can see this picture painted a little bit more clearly in all of our gathering. And I have one question for you in closing. Is your life oriented toward the throne room of God and him sitting on the throne at the center of all reality? Let us endeavor to make that our reality this year, you know, as we pursue God together. Uh, Let's pray together. And, uh, you know, as we mentioned earlier, um, we want to spend some time in prayer this month, um, just as a church, praying to God. And we're going to have actually a little bit of extended time of of prayer and worship just right now and um, you know I just I just want to ask you or I want to offer this time if in your heart you know maybe maybe dissatisfaction and complaint have become a prevalent part of your life you know maybe that's really what what's driving us uh, more than worship of God more than the view of the throne Um, you know if that's the case I'd I'd really just want to offer you some time to to confess to be directed back toward the lamb who has slain that worthy lamb who has purchased for us forgiveness who has purchased for us life and joy and peace